That's happy, thanks. Felicia de Gracias? All right, now you have to do it too. Felicia de... Nope. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving. We'll get David to give us better instructions later. Maybe someday I'll come more prepared. So, yes, indeed, more prepared, Alan says. Great. Uh, but here we are, Thanksgiving week 2020. Uh, this week, uh, in some form or another, whether it's in a room or with family or in a Zoom room or a phone call, someone is certainly going to ask you uh, to go around a circle and say what you're thankful for. It's a very fun exercise, um, I guess. Um, there's times that it feels very genuine and there's times that it, it kind of feels like you're just trying to, to hide your, your disgenuine uh, answer to those things as you kind of move to dessert, uh, if it's a Thanksgiving meal. Uh, this year, though, that might even be a little bit more difficult to be really genuine in our Thanksgiving. It's been a tough year. Uh, there have been a lot of things that have been difficult for us to kind of process and live through, and that continues to be true. Uh, and because of the difficult year that we've been experiencing, uh, we might need to do a little bit of emotional processing before we safely arrive at something like gratitude on Thursday. Uh, so there's a lot of preparation work that needs to be done before we get to Thanksgiving. Uh, certainly turkey, stuffing, mashed potatoes, and gravy. Uh, but I think there's some inner work that some of us may need to be doing in a year like this also as we get ready to move toward gratitude. Uh, not just preparing food, but preparing ourselves to be thankful. And it can be a difficult thing to do in our world uh, there's a woman named Brene Brown. Brene Brown is a qualitative researcher, which means she takes your emotions and turns them into math and draws charts with them. Uh, that's kind of what she does. Uh, and one of the things she does is she tries to figure out how many emotions people can name. Uh, and the average, not average adult, but the most common number of emotions that an adult can name is three. Can you guess what they are? Happy, sad, mad. That's it. That's the emotions that most of us have readily available to access in whatever moment that we find ourselves in. How are you feeling today? Well, I'm either happy, I'm sad, or I'm angry. Those are the three things we kind of default to, and, and, and the three that we think of the most. And yet, it turns out that the more we have the ability to understand our inner selves, our emotions, and our feelings, and the greater our ability to communicate those to others, the healthier we are. The more emotions that you are able to name and describe is kind of what some experts describe as your emotional literacy. How able are you to describe how you feel to someone else honestly uh, in a way that shows that you understand it and that they can understand it also is your emotional literacy. Uh, so Brene Brown has 30 core emotions that emotionally literate adults people that have access to their feelings and can describe them, 30 core emotions that emotionally literate adults uh, should have access to. You'll notice that one of these is, in fact, gratitude, the Thanksgiving emotion. Uh, so what I want to do, uh, you may not be able to read these on the screen. Maybe you can. I want to read through this list of 30 core emotions. And I want you to think about the three that have been the most prevalent in your life this year, or maybe even more recently in the last month or so? What are the three that, that when we go over this list, 
rise above the others in your uh, kind of emotional audit of yourself. Anger, anxiety, belonging, blame, curiosity, disappointment, disgust, embarrassment, empathy, excitement, fear, frustration, gratitude, grief, guilt, happiness, humiliation, hurt, jealousy, joy, judgment, loneliness, love, overwhelmed, regret, sadness, shame, being surprised, vulnerable, and worried. What are the three that when you read these loom larger in your inner life than the others? In our children's Bible class this morning, they they were also talking about kind of the same idea of how do you understand your emotions and express them to others, and how do you express them to God? And one of the activities that they did, and you can do this whether you're watching at home or whether you're here in the auditorium, wherever you are, uh, is they practice mirroring their emotions or expressing them to others. And this is a really fun task if you're wearing a mask. So if you're in here and you're wearing a mask, what I want you to do is take the one emotion that has been the strongest for you this year and turn to the person next to you and make the facial expression that most signifies that emotion. They did this in children's Bible class, so you have to be a fourth grade or better to be able to do this. Everyone giving their emotional face to the person next to them that best demonstrates how they feel this year. All right, at least with... Your eyes and up. Some of you have lips. Some of you don't. I don't know. Okay. I'm sure you all did it and everyone received your emotion well, right? When we went through the list and you were thinking about your top three emotions this year, how many of you included gratitude as one of your top three emotions? Top three. A few. I will tell you that, and I don't know what this means. It was a higher percentage at at our 830 service, and even in this service, it was some of our our older members who raised their hands. I can't help but wonder, and I hadn't thought about this prior to this moment, if there's something about having lived through difficult times in your past that allows you to go through difficult years with gratitude, that it's remembering the things that God's delivered you from in the past that reminds you that it'll deliver you you from this in the present towards a greater future. I don't know. Okay, enough musings about that. So, uh, the thing that you need to know is that if you have greater access to describe your emotions, you're going to be a healthier person. And this isn't just something uh, that, that we believe. One of the things that you need to understand, because we often think about emotions, that some are good and that some are bad, that some are pleasant and some are unpleasant. And so you would think about sadness as something you don't want to feel, whereas happiness is something we all rather enjoy, right? And yet the important thing to know is that sadness is the right emotional response to finding out that someone that you love is going through suffering. In fact, if you were to feel happy if your loved one was suffering, we would all look at you and kind of agree that you're a little bit of a psychopath and we wouldn't want to be friends with you. So in that case, sadness is the healthy and appropriate response to bad things going on in your life. Grief is such an appropriate response to loss of either a loved one or the loss of a dream or plans or a world that you believed existed and now found out doesn't. Grief is such a a natural response to that that it even helps to heal your inner self when you're going through tough stuff. 
So do we want to be in grief? It's not pleasant, but if you've lost something, is grief good? Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's not just good, it's necessary. And so when we look at how we get our emotions, we need to begin by understanding that they are gifts from God to help us in our inner self respond to the outer world. That it's God's way of creating in us emotional responses and feelings that deal with the world that we're living in. And since we are created in God's image, in the image of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, it shouldn't come as a surprise to us that God is an emotional being. That God is a divine being filled with emotions and that the emotions we have, the ones that we consider good and bad, pleasant and unpleasant, all have their rootedness in God's creating of us. So we shouldn't be surprised when we go into the scriptures and we find over and over again that God has emotions. And I want to go through some of these so that you can just see how God the Father and the Son are demonstrating their emotions in different situations. Because I think it's going to help us better understand that we, like God, have emotions from God for the purpose of living and interacting with both God and others in the world. So in Psalm 37, the psalmist writes that the wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him. For he sees his day is coming. We see a couple of emotions in this psalm. The first one is God's laughter, but there's even a little bit of underlying almost vindictiveness there, right? That God is laughing because the one who thinks they can get away with everything is not going to get away with it. And he knows the end of the story where justice reigns. And he laughs at the one who thinks that justice does not apply to them. In John chapter 11, verse 35, the shortest passage in all of Scripture. This is, of course, in the scene with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Jesus wept because he felt so intensely passionate about their grief that he joined them in that moment with his own tears. In Proverbs 6, we read, There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and ones who spread strife among brothers. God hates those things. And if I'd asked you when you were coming in, hey, does God ever hate? Some of you may have immediately gone, no, God doesn't hate. I mean, in fact, it's one of the rules at our house with our kids is that we don't say hate. And at some point, as my kids are growing up, they figure out that there's a loophole in my rule, that they are allowed to say, we hate Satan. And the point that they find that loophole, they find themselves saying that a lot because it's really fun to say something you're not supposed to say in a way that is, in fact, good. And it turns out that what my kids figure out at a young age, that it's okay in my house to say that they hate Satan, is also okay for God to do. God hates evil, and God loves what is good. God hates evil, that it brings destruction and, and division to his people and his children and his church. He hates it. And so we shouldn't be surprised that sometimes we hate that which is evil and bad because that emotion is rooted in the God that made us in his own image. And yet that hate, if you want to find Bible verses that talk about God's hate, you're going to have to really do some searching because there's not a lot of it. But there's a lot of Bible that talks about God's love. Such as John chapter 3, which tells us famously 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We know that in Psalm 104, the glory of the Lord shall endure forever. The Lord shall rejoice in his works. God rejoices. He's happy. He smiles. He's expressive and exuberant in his joy as a response to his glory's endurance. In Numbers 11, and when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it. And his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them, and it consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. There are times that God gets so weary of complaining and whining that it displeases him and makes him angry. So angry that his fire raged in the camp. Someone asked me earlier, why is it that God got tired of complaining and his anger raged against them? Whereas later, as we're going to be talking about in the sermon, it's important for us to be honest about our difficult times with God. And, and I'll just tell you briefly, because I thought it was a great question. Um, I think that the difference is that if your complaining leads you backwards towards nostalgia and not God, you've got a problem. If your complaining places you at the feet of God saying, you're in charge, who else could I turn to? I believe that you'll pull me forward through this. I believe it's healthy and that it brings us closer to God. And, and so when you think about, am I just complaining with God in a way that is pulling me uh, away from him and towards nostalgia and the way things used to be? I think you've got a problem. If it helps you faithfully move forward in God's presence towards a better future, I think you're in a good place. Um, and, and so maybe that's helpful for us as we think about that. But when it talks about complaining here, it doesn't mean that you can't be honest with God about bad things happening because the Psalms are filled with that. And we'll get to that in, in a minute. But what I do want you to see is that God gets impatient with people sometimes and he gets angry with people sometimes. And, and while we think that anger is unpleasant and we try and avoid it, it's rooted in God who made us in his image. In Exodus 34, verse 14, it says, For you shall not worship any other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. God wants us to have our, our worship ordered rightly, where we worship Him above all else, and we do not worship idols, we do not worship created things, we only worship the Creator. And that when we do that correctly, God is glorified and He desires that relationship with us. And when we do it wrongly, He is jealous. He is a jealous God. And in Matthew 14, we read that as Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude, He was moved with compassion toward them and He healed their sick. Jesus performs miracles for many different reasons. Sometimes to show that He has the authority to do it. Sometimes he, he performs miracles to pick a fight with Jewish leaders so that he can teach them something they need to learn. There's times that Jesus performed miracles so that he and the Father might be glorified and, and that people might know that he is of the Father and sent by the Father. And there's times that Jesus performs miracles because he looks at someone and he just feels an overwhelming sense of compassion for them. He's moved by their need, and he's prompted to action simply because he feels for them. The emotional response of compassion overwhelms him. 
And so we need to begin our conversation about emotions and feelings by recognizing that the full range of human emotion is given to us by God to respond appropriately to the different circumstances of the world we're living in. And not only is it given us as a gift by God to allow us to respond to the world, it's rooted in the very character of God, which is an emotionally filled divine God. And he gives us the emotions that he has so that we might have them. And we can't just run away from them. When we run away from those things that God has given us, we're running away from the way that God made us in his image. And we should, as Christians, be running towards how God intended us to be created in his image, which is a very different thing. What psychology and and studies about uh, humans today has helped us to understand confirms what God has demonstrated in his emotion and how he's created us. People who have higher emotional literacy, which again just means do you understand how you feel and can you describe it to somebody, People who have the ability to do that have stronger and longer relationships. They have less anxiety and depression, and they perform better at school and or work. And so it's one of the real myths of, of, of kind of the world that we live in that sometimes it's, hey, quit messing with your feelings and just get back to work and you'll get more done. What the research shows is if you do the work of kind of understanding and communicating your emotions, it will actually help you get more work done. Maybe not in that moment, but in the future. It makes you more productive. It helps you be more inner and outer, uh, outer, innerly and outerly healthy. I don't know if, is innerly a word? There you go. You can, I, it is a word now. You can use it freely as you go. Um, if God can speak, no. Okay. Um, and yet it's not just something that, that science gives us today, that research has borne out, that people who have emotional literacy have stronger and longer relationships, that they are able to avoid depression and anxiety, fear, worry, and anger uh, to a greater level, and that they're more effective and productive at work, school, home, and everywhere else they go. Uh, the Psalms has been demonstrating this for thousands of years before science and research figured it out. The Psalms has been giving us a guidebook for how people of faith can be communicating with incredible ability how they feel in the world that they're living in, responding to their circumstances, describing to God exactly what they love, what they hate, what is making them afraid, what they dislike, what is causing them pain, and telling God that they want it to be different that they believe that God has the ability to make it different and calling on Him to make it so. And so in the Psalms, there's this cycle that that goes over and over again, and it's not linear. And the reason it's not linear is because life isn't linear. This has been a crummy year, but how many of you have had a good thing happen this year? At least one good thing? Yeah, almost all of us have had at least one good thing. But how many of you have had a difficulty this year? We've all had some difficulties this year. Psalms exist in the real world where things aren't linear, but nonetheless there is a pattern that repeats in Psalms as it moves back and forth between good things and bad things happening in the world and people of faith responding to God and talking to Him about what it's like to live in that place. So that the Psalms often begin, the Psalm cycle begins in Psalms of orientation, which just really means Things are the way they're supposed to be. 
Things aren't broken yet. God's in charge, and when God's in charge, things are good. And we praise Him, and we give Him glory and honor, and we thank Him for creating such a good world where nothing goes wrong. Remember those naive days when you could just kind of say, God is in charge, and everything is good, and what other problems could there be in a world like this? Those are the Psalms of orientation. The world is as it should be. And the emotions of those psalms ring through, happy, 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 joy, joy, joy. But what always follows the psalms of orientation in some form or another is the psalms of disorientation. Things were good and it, it was all orderly and now it's all broken and it feels bad and it needs to get different fast. And the psalms of disorientation are filled with anger and fear and frustration and, and depression and anxiety, all these different things. The, the psalms of disorientation go to God and say, God, this is not acceptable, but I believe that you're in charge, so who else can I turn to? As a statement of faith, I, I'm going to trust that you're big enough and, and love me enough and are close enough that I can tell you what's bothering me and that your ear will listen to what I need you to hear. And the psalms of disorientation are raw and they're often uncomfortable and they use words that we sometimes think ought not be said to the guy who created all things, the God who is Alpha and Omega and who is holy and, and other and responds negatively at times to complaining but welcomes us to share how we feel in this moment. That's the psalms of disorientation. And they have incredible emotional vocabulary and imagery and poetry, and it's all there. And they lay it all at God's feet. And they say, God, this world stinks, and we need you to make it better. And what's really incredible is that the Psalms of Disorientation, and there's 150 Psalms, roughly 40% of them are these Psalms of, of lament, of disorientation, of broken world kind of crying. And of those 40% of the Psalms, all but about two or three of them contain in them, especially at the end, statements of thanksgiving, praise, confidence, and faith. And it's so jarring to read these and to get to the end and have them end with like this incredible statement of confidence in God. And if you're just reading it and you're not really feeling it, you might think, boy, this is kind of like uh, the, the compliment sandwich. You ever get those? Where if you're going to give someone a criticism, you put it right between two compliments, and that way they feel okay about what you really need them to hear. Uh, the Lament Psalms are not giving God a compliment sandwich. It's not the obligatory, uh, but God, I'm still good, you're still good, so let's end on good terms so that you'll be nice to me later. That's not what's going on in the Psalms. What's going on in the Psalms of disorientation is that there is a very natural thing, and if you've been married for a long time and ever had an argument, you understand this. That when you have an argument with your spouse and you, you're able to really communicate what hurts in this argument and in this moment and in this conflict, and you hear each other, and I don't mean listen to each other, where you actually hear each other and you understand what the other person is saying and you resolve that conflict, there is an incredible bond that comes through that kind of honest working through of tough stuff. That, that bond that's true in a marriage exists in the lament psalms, the psalms of disorientation, where you lay at God's feet what you need to be fixed and changed, and it's so honest, and you feel so heard, and aware of God's presence, and you're reminded that He got you through stuff before in the past, and it gives you hope for the future, you almost can't help but end in, in a statement of praise. 
of thanksgiving, of confidence. And so the lament psalms over and over again end that way. And, and they end that way even though nothing's changed yet. Things still stink, but I trust God. Things are still broken, but I believe God can, has, and will put them back together again. And then when he does, we come full cycle to the Psalms of new orientation. Because you've come to a place now where you can praise God for bringing you out of the pit. You can praise God for getting you out of your suffering. You can praise God for putting your enemies down and lifting you up. All that stuff that's in the Psalms takes place, and you're now on the right side of things. You started out on the mountain, you went down to the valley, and now you're on a new mountain. But these psalms are different than the psalms of orientation. The psalms of new orientation have lost the innocence that we started with. They've got some scars and bruises from life. They remember that things can get bad and will get bad again, but there's this confidence that even though they were bad, God made them better again. And that confidence allows them to look back, not with naivety that things are good, but with the strength and faith of having walked through the fire with God. And there's so much thanksgiving, so much thanksgiving and praise in the Psalms of New Orientation. I'm going to walk you through three of these. I want to read through three of these psalms, and I want you to hear how this cycle works. Beginning with Psalm 47. Psalm 47 is one of the psalms of orientation where God is in control, and when God is in control, how could anything be wrong? Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. For the Lord Most High is awesome, the great King over all the earth. He subdued nations under us, peoples under our feet, he chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loved. God has ascended amid shouts of joy, the Lord amid the sounding of trumpets. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth, sing to Him a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations, God is seated on His holy throne. The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of the God of Abraham. For the kings of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. As we read through that psalm, you could hear over and over again, joy, joy, joy. Sing, sing, clap your hands, give praise, glory and honor. God is awesome. What could go wrong in a world such as this? But we live in the world that knows that things do go wrong. And so we have Psalm 130 when things have gone terribly awry. Psalm 130 is not the world of Psalm 47. Psalm 130 begins, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait from the Lord, my whole being waits, and in His word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with Him is full redemption. He Himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. 
out of the depths. God, I'm in the pit. I'm down in the dumps, and I don't know how to get out. God, listen, listen, hear my cry. And the psalmist says, listen, over and over again, as if he's been praying this psalm for a while, and he feels that God has not heard him. God, please let your ears be open to my cries. Please. God, I'm waiting for you to show up. I'm waiting because I'm sick of the night. I'm sick of being afraid of the dark. I'm sick of being left here in the midst of this darkness and in this night. It's been such a long night. God, like a watchman, I just want to see the sun. I just want to see the sun coming over the horizon. God, I'm waiting like a watchman who wants out of this dark, dark night. And then the statement of faith, because he's been honest and emotionally expressed the anguish and the fear and the turmoil that he's going through. And and the psalmist ends with the, the statement, not just that the psalmist will put faith in God, but all of Israel needs to put your hope in the Lord because of his unfailing love. When you're emotionally honest with God, it resolves itself and pulls you towards praise and confidence in who he is, what he's done, and what he will do in the future. Psalm 65 takes us to a psalm of thanksgiving, a psalm of someone that's been through the pit, that's been waiting through the long night for the sun to come up. And in Psalm 65, we have the psalm of new orientation. Praise awaits you, our God in Zion. To you, our vows will be fulfilled. You who answer prayer, to you all people will come. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, God our Savior. The hope of all the ends of the earth and all the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. Where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain, for so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the wilderness overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks and the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. This psalm knows that there was war and chaos in the world, but to that moment God brought peace. There was famine and there was drought, but to that problem God brought rains and crops and an abundance that God shares and blesses. They remember that things used to not be great, but now they cry out that God has brought great wonders and they are so thrilled to celebrate all that God has done that even the meadows and, and are covered with flocks and they shout for joy and sing. The earth itself joins the people of God in praising the God who has brought great, great blessing out of great suffering and trials. The Psalms use so many different images and emotions to experience all of life and to do it honestly in God's presence. 
There's a handout that you may have got when you came in this morning. If you didn't, you can get one on the way out, or you may have seen it on Facebook. If you're watching at home uh, and you want to see what this is, this is, this is in the church's Facebook group, or we emailed it out last night. Um, but it's got Plutchik's Wheel of Emotions. And there's a lot of different kinds of, of wheels of emotions that kind of explain how we think and feel and react to the world that's around us. Um, this one I really like, and the reason I like this one the most is because Pluchik divided eight primary emotions into polar opposites. And I love polar opposites and binaries and things that are on a continuum. And, and this whole wheel is based on that. And so what Bluechick believes is that when something comes into your life, it can bring you either joy or sadness, these polar opposites. When someone comes into your life and interacts with you, you can respond to them with either acceptance or disgust. When there is a threat in your life, you will respond to it with either fear or anger, which are the emotions that are at the root of your response to either fight or flight. When you are waiting for something, it will all of a sudden come in that moment with surprise or it will leave you waiting in anticipation for either a good or bad thing in your future. But, but there's these, these four opposites that give us this eight primary emotions. And, and in the wheel, it's got these different colors for each one. And the things that are at the middle of the wheel are the most intense emotions that you have as a result of those eight different categories. And at the farther end, pushing the outside of the wheel, are the emotions that you experience less intently. And then in between those are these kind of more shaded areas that describe how if you combine the emotion on the left with the emotion on the right, you get a different emotion. And suddenly, these adults who would describe all of the emotions that they might experience as happy, sad, mad, have this map with all of these different feelings that God has given us to deal with the world, made in His image, experiencing emotions and feelings, desiring us to understand them and communicate them. When we communicate it well with those who are around us, we have stronger and longer relationships with them, less anxiety and depression, and we're more effective. When we do it honestly with God, we get a stronger and longer relationship with God a more personal relationship filled with greater confidence and greater honesty. We get a relationship that prevents us from going into the pits of despair and depression and anxiety and instead brings us into a place of confidence and lets us plant our feet on the rock of the teachings of Jesus. When we are honest in God's presence about the emotions that we're feeling, it allows us not only to be more effective in what we're doing at work and at school, but effective in the kingdom of God itself as Christians living in the world. So I want, what I want to invite you to do this week is there is for a lot of us this year a lot of emotions that can get in the way of us experiencing gratitude and thanksgiving. It's hard to get to gratitude when we're stuck in anger and fear and rage and all the stuff that's often been triggered in us this last year. And it's not to say that those are bad. Those are good responses to bad things, right? But it does get in the way of us interacting with gratitude towards God and others. It does make it hard to get to Thanksgiving by this Thursday. And since we've got a deadline, we've got some work to do. And I don't mean cooking the turkey. What I mean is I want to invite you guys to take this prayer, this, this wheel of emotions and sit down with God this week.
maybe once a day, and just say, God, as a result of this happening in my life or the world, I feel, and just let your finger go over this until you find the one that feels the most true in that moment. God, as a result of what's going on in my world, I feel, and you use that word, and you tell God, God, I feel rage right now. Well, that's a pretty good place to start a prayer. God, because of things that are going on in the world right now, I am afraid. It's a pretty good place to start a prayer. God, as a result of some of the things going on in my world right now and an interaction I had with someone else, I've got an incredible amount of trust today. Well, that's a great place to start a prayer. And what I think that you'll experience is if you start your prayer by telling God how you feel about what's going on, and then you just kind of walk around that problem with God for a while, like the psalmists do, that what you're going to find is that you'll end with something like this, God, I trust you to be with me as you have been in the past and you will be in the future. Well, that gets you pretty close to Thanksgiving, doesn't it? That gets you pretty close to gratitude. Pretty close to thanksgiving. Honesty with God leads us to the doorstep of thanksgiving. Because we realize that we can have faith and confidence in a God who's with us all the way. He's there in the high points. He's there in the low points. He's there in the good days. He's there in the dark days. As the watchman waits in the night for the morning, God's there with the watchman. And he's certainly there when the sun rises in the morning. And he wants us to be honest with him. He wants us to be prayerfully honest about what we're going through with him. And the other thing I need to say is this is a little bit of an aside, but I think it'll it'll be helpful to you this week. Uh, This week, you're going to be interacting with friends, family members, loved ones who are going to have different emotions than you as a response to different things going on in the world, or maybe a different perception of things that are the same. And if you want room to be able to honestly express your emotions and how you're feeling about stuff, you need to give them that room too. You need to give them, and empathy is one of the 30 core emotions, right? We may need to lean a little bit more on our empathy. Uh, The Christian kind of virtue of that is grace. We may need to give people a little bit of grace this week. It's been a tough year. We've had a lot of emotional responses to a lot of challenging circumstances. And if people are not feeling the same emotion you are, that's okay. That's okay. Let them honestly feel what they're feeling as you honestly feel what you're feeling. And if you're able to do that with grace and empathy and love, it opens the door for stronger and longer relationships, less depression and anxiety, and the ability to be more effective in what you're trying to do together as a family. So give each other that space to feel things differently this week. If you allow room to do that, whether you're in the same space or a Zoom space or a virtual space or a phone call, I think you're going to find that you're leaving your holiday time happier and healthier yourself, even if you didn't match emotions with everyone in the room all the time. But really, as you approach Thanksgiving in your relationship with God, I invite you to do the same thing. Tell him the truth about how you feel. He's big enough to handle it. He's present enough to listen. And for me, I think there's two responses that make this difficult. The first one is we think God is is too little to actually show up and make a difference in our lives. And I'm telling you right now, God's big enough to make a difference. And I think the other one is we sometimes think that God is too big 
to show up in the room where we're praying and listen to our one prayer. And I'm telling you that God is small enough and intimate and personal enough of a God to show up and hear your one feeling about what's going on in your world. And he wants you to tell him the truth and be emotionally intelligent about the emotions he's giving you to respond to the world in which he has created and where he is engaging with you all the time. God is present whether you acknowledge it or not, but I'll tell you if you acknowledge it, you're going to enjoy his presence a lot more. It's good to know he's there, that he's here, and that he's with us. The Psalms demonstrate thousands of years ago what modern psychology confirms. That people who can describe their emotions well to others, and in our case as people of faith, describe our emotions well to God, will have a better relationship with God and others, will be more effective at school and work, and will be more effective as members of the kingdom of God. You don't have to do it. Jesus Christ and the cross can save you whether you understand your emotions or not. Boy, I tell you, your walk with Him is going to be a lot better if you do a little bit of this work to tell God the truth about how you feel in this tough time. And it's going to help you get ready for Thanksgiving Eve so that on Thursday you can really be grateful for all the good things God's given you, even in the midst of tough times, tough weeks, tough years. When the Psalms are honest with God, they always move eventually toward Thanksgiving. We've got some work to do before Thanksgiving. Turkeys to cook, prayers to pray. Be honest with God this week. If you need to respond to the gospel message this morning, uh, that Jesus Christ died to save you from your sins and invites you to be part of his kingdom for all of eternity, if you need to respond to that gospel or anything else, please come forward this morning as we stand and sing together. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul.